Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 35. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. Dave, the Pittsburgh Penguins back in action, blowing a third-period lead, losing 4-2 to the Blackhawks. But the Pittsburgh Steelers off their win, so we'll take it overall. Dave, how you doing? Yeah, they uh, they let that one get away from them last night, didn't they? Uh, for, for for sure, that young kid that the Blackhawks uh, have is going to be good, isn't he? Connor Bedard, sure. Yeah, and he's billed as the next Crosby. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll go that far just yet, but they sure were highlighted. <laughs> they sure were watching his every move during that broadcast and talking <laughs> about it in between periods. But uh, all right, uh, anyway, I promise to try to be in a more positive. Uh, Steelers mood today because uh, uh, I was I was uh, more on that negative side on that uh, negative uh, Nelly uh, side the other day. So I'm gonna try to be a lot more positive today. Yay team! Yay team! And Dave, we'll, we'll talk about it more in a bit. But you are getting a lot of flack on Twitter for giving out Steelers state secrets. I guess people want your head today on Twitter. Uh-oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the byproduct of coming. Hey, here, here's the thing. Like we said the uh, other day, uh, we got two We got two weeks for the next game, and uh, we always enjoy the uh, all-22 time that we get. We got a lot more uh, these next two weeks, so you're going you're gonna have more time to go through and find some little Easter eggs, if you will. And look, the to- topic of, uh, let's just start, let's, let's, let's start this way with it. Uh, why the picket to Pickens touchdown is so much in focus of the uh, what what happened uh, in the play, and it, it's it's obviously mostly related. Uh, you, you the the Matt Canada reaction in the or non reaction in the press box. Hey, here's what's going on, and and uh, whatever side of, of the fence you want to fall on this is absolutely fine. But what you're seeing here is the I guess the everybody's anti-Canada, <laughs> but then you have the pro picket and the anti-picket trying to jump on both sides of the uh, 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 of the narrative here. The overall takeaway I think that you're seeing is they want uh, most people want no credit to go to 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 Canada, and then they want to divide up how much credit goes to goes to pick it for change of play and how much, you know, did he just overrule it, change the complete play. So that that's why this thing has become such a talking point, I believe, is that, you know, they 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 want to divvy up where the where the credit goes to fit whatever narrative, whatever side of defense are on. Did I, did I explain that right? I think you did. I think it's all accurate. I just know for me personally, all I care about is they scored a touchdown and won the game. Like people can debate all they want about all this kind of, to me, pretty silly stuff. I think it was normal quarterbacking where you're adjusting protection, you're adjusting a route based on coverage because you worked on some of those things in practice, which Kenny Pickett talked about. So to me, as I often say, it's not either or it's both. And you work on things in practice, 
quarterback has autonomy during the game. He makes the change, makes the throw, receiver makes the play, runs a great route. All I care about is they scored. I'm happy about that. People can somehow find ways to get angry and try to deflect or blame or credit whoever they want. I'm just happy they scored a touchdown because right. it's those don't happen too often in Pittsburgh this year. Right. And 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 another thing what we try to do is get to the nitty gritty of what happened, what actually happened. Uh, you know, uh, and Kenny Pickett talked yesterday to the media. I'm going to pull up what he had to say about that play specifically. Uh, he was asked, uh, there were a ton of o- online offensive coordinators coming up with these conspiracy theories about what happened on the last play, whether you made a check or audible at the line of scrimmage. What were some of the changes you made at the line of scrimmage? He says, yeah, it was protection and a route. He says they went zero, meaning the Ravens went zero coverage. I wanted to make sure we were protected, then gave George his route. He went and made a great play. It was something that we worked on all all, all week on. So it's awesome when you put a lot of time into something in a crucial moment like that to win a divisional game. You go out there and you do it in a two-minute drill. It's awesome. Uh, All right. So uh, we already knew this. He confirmed it. Uh, uh, We knew that he had made the the, the line protection change uh, with with the Randy call sliding uh, uh, basically a five-man protection to the right in that. Because pre-snap, he was easily able to identify that they were probably going to be in zero coverage uh, on that play. Uh, that's that's nothing peculiar in and of itself. That's the stuff that you work on uh, uh, during the week in practice, uh, along with the offensive coordinator. So nothing to see there, right? Right. All right. Now, I think the big the big thing that people are trying to really drill down is uh, the changing of the route or whatever. Now, uh, nothing in that, at least, at least from what I can discern, nothing in what he said in the Randy call impacted that that was for the, for the, for the, for the uh, line protection there. Now, I went to Zapruder film, Dave, uh, uh, yesterday uh, in the All-22. And I think you, to me, it looks clearly that uh, Kenny Pickett gives kind of the upside-down okay sign uh, to, to, to Pickens to his side there. And basically, it's a... It's a symbol for zero. Uh, mm-hmm. And he kind of flashes that three times over, and he looks over to George's side a couple times uh, doing that. To me, that was the sign to Pickens for whatever they had talked. Now, you know, uh, I don't know if it's a route route change or, or specifically, but all I know is I think that that was the symbol to Pickens to whatever they discussed about. If they see zero, this is, in other words, whatever we talked about, you run that route based on what we talked about. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's what it seems to be. It seems to be where he's flashing a zero, which would signify cover zero, which would signify based on what happened in practice, you're going to run the nine route. And you take what Patrick Peterson said in his podcast where Mike Tomlin talked about throughout the week that in dying moments, i.e. in big weighty moments and the game type stuff, Baltimore is going to burn the house down, meaning they're going to send pressure. They're going to send everybody. And so I think Pittsburgh was well aware of Baltimore's 
personality and history of blitz heavy cover zero moments in those big time situations. They referenced the Colts game out. They did that to a young quarterback. And I think at, actually at that point, uh, maybe Richardson was, was hurt and Minshew came in, but they, they blitzed heavily against Indianapolis. So um, piece everything together. And that seems to be what happened. And how much, how much credit? I mean, look, Ken, Kenny deserves a lot of credit there. He identified what he was supposed to identify. He got him into the right situation. And, uh, and look, there was even the, the snap wasn't as clean as what you'd probably like. It. I mean, it wasn't way outside, but it, 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 it wasn't a perfect snap that he had to handle. And, the line protected well, and he dropped that thing right into in 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 the bucket to Pickens there. So, uh, how much credit you want to take away from Canada or give you know uh, and give put on pick what whatever? But that's what happened with that play, and it's and and to me, it's there's nothing un there, there's nothing unusual to see here. Yeah, just to me, a football play. They they practiced it. They expected it. They executed it. They recognized it when they got in that moment. Pickett made a great throw. Pickens ran a great route to stack the corner at the end. You know, Canada is giving them the freedom to to make those changes. I'm not trying to divvy up credit in terms of percentages and, you know, deflect and blame somebody. I'm I'm just happy they scored a touchdown. Right, man. Right. That's all I care about. Right. And that's it. That's the discussion. That's where it is, right? Right. And people can speculate the lack of reaction from Canada. Uh, it, it could be where he was checking for flags. It could be where he's getting information in his headset because he's trying to figure out, are we going for one? Are we going for two? If we're going for two, I got to get a play call in. It could have been a million different things going on there. So I think it's all wasted energy to breathlessly try to, you know, blame or criticize or have any sort of critique on Canada on a play that got you a 41 yard touchdown. Right. So good sleuthing by you. We're going to call you the Babushka lady. I think from now on, Dave, with your, I don't, uh, I don't even know sleuthing. what that means <laughs> uh, in the JFK. I think in one of the films, there's a, a lady um, and they call her the Babushka lady because it looked like she was maybe, I think, filming something and they never oh, able to okay. recover that footage. And I, I forget the whole story. It, it's been a while since I've gone down that rabbit hole, but that's uh, part of the JFK lore. Anyway, I think we've gone down a rabbit hole that I probably didn't intend to, to go down here, but, but yeah, that is the explanation from Pickett to Pickens. Let's kind of reset here, Dave, and talk about some of the, the hard news. Um, according to multiple NFL net, Network reports on Tuesday, TJ Watt, we knew he seemed to be shaking his hand a bit in the first quarter of that Ravens game. He didn't really miss much time. But according to Tom Palacero and Ian Rappaport, Watt suffered a badly dislocated finger and tore multiple ligaments in his finger. He popped the dislocated finger back in, taped up his fingers, as you pointed out, Dave, and, and more of your sleuthing, missed, I think, all of two snaps, came back in, finished the game, got two sacks, including the game sealer on Lamar Jackson. So he's going to be fine in terms of he's not going to miss any any playing time. Ian Rappaport saying he may need surgery after the season, but he's going to be good to go for week seven. So as impressive as Watt's performance was, it's all the more impressive when you consider what he just played through for most of that game. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, that happened, I think, midway through the first quarter there, and he still went on to have a, a very T.J. Watt-like like game there. So uh, it doesn't seem like this is uh, – I bet it smarts quite a bit or, or did after that game. I'm sure adrenaline was probably running through him uh, uh, the, the rest of the game. I bet he was 
probably ouching quite a bit after it, probably since there. But uh, this doesn't sound like. Uh, uh, look, he was still able to do those go, you know, ghost moves and and several other things that he wanted to do. But uh, this this other than maybe some discomfort and probably having to have that thing taped up uh, moving forward here, this doesn't sound uh, all that all that impactful. Right. So should be okay there. Today is T.J. Watt's birthday, so for the birthday boy, probably I don't know what he's doing today, but probably something that'll not uh, hurt his hand all the more. Right. I would agree. And it's right, his but- birthday. Happy birthday to T.J. Yeah. Watt. How old today? 20 29, right? 29, 29. All right. 20s have been good to TJ Watt. That's for sure. NFL leading eight sacks through the first five games. And I think he's got a real legitimate chance to break the sack record, which he currently holds a share of with Michael, uh, Michael Strahan. Look, he's got eight through five, eight, eight through five games and these next five coming up, uh, the Packers are going to, uh, they play the Packers in this next set of five games and they're going to be without a, a, a tackle in this one. And plus, I mean, their pass protection hasn't been all that great. I mean, who, you know, they've, they've got a, several other teams in here that, that, uh, you would think they're going to be able to attack. I mean, that Rams offensive line isn't all that great. You know, however, comma, you go back to the uh, game against the Texans, right? And, uh, they got to get themselves in situations where they can rush the passer. If, if they if they go up against a team uh, or if they play the way they did, uh, l- like they did against the Texans, where they allow them to start running that football early and get, get a little bit off balance and the ball's coming out. You're going to you're going to have what happened against the Texans where, you know, and, and look, TJ even admitted he didn't have all that great of a game against uh, uh, the Texans. But I think because of the fact that that, that Stroud was able to get that ball out and they were running the ball, kind of kept the Steelers defense off balance. But a you know, long story short, I mean, in these next five games, we could be talking about we could be talking about TJ Watt at 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 15 or 16 sacks, right? Never going to rule it out when it comes to that guy. Now, I think week seven is going to be maybe his toughest matchup of the year. The, Ra- or the uh, Rams have a good right tackle in Rob Havenstein, another Wisconsin product, so former Badger on former Badger. So that, that'll be, I think, a tough matchup, but certainly one that Watt can still win. And, you know, I, I posted all those breakdowns of those of the players that T.J. Watt, the, the, the right tackles that T.J. Watt uh, was likely to face. Ahead, right ahead of the start of the season there. How many of those guys has he actually <laughs> faced? <laughs> That's a good question. Probably <laughs> half, if that, all the injuries. So all that's, uh, they, did the kids call that kind of evergreen or whatnot? I, I, I don't know. You put no. in all, all that work to try to, because uh, he didn't, he didn't face the, uh, he didn't face the Texans tackle we thought he'd face, right? He didn't. Right, Titus uh, Howard. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, the uh, Ravens, Moses didn't play. Right. Moses didn't play. Seemed like there was maybe one other Conklin, one. Conklin. With Cleveland. Right. Right. Conklin. So all that hard work, it just goes to show you how 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 an NFL season can 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 go sometimes. Right. I mean, you, you can't sit here and plan a matchup one week out, let alone five weeks out. Right. It's unpredictable. Injuries dramatically change things and that's how it goes. So we'll 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 keep an eye on it, though. And certainly uh, we'll, we'll see if TJ Watt wins defensive player of the week for the AFC. I, I think it'll, it'll either be him or maybe Robert Spillane with his two picks. Uh, congrats oh. to, to old Bob Spillane on Monday Night Football. Right. All right. I think one thing that probably should have tipped to tipped off to us that TJ Watt was dealing with something was one of the roster moves that Pittsburgh made since our last show. They signed. 
linebacker Kyron Johnson to the practice squad. Bit of an undersized athletic pass rusher out of Kansas. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in 2022. And so that was when Andy Weidel was there before becoming the Steelers assistant GM. Pittsburgh had worked Johnson out earlier in the season, now officially signed. Some depth there with Watt. Also Alex Highsmith dealing with that groin injury, although it did not seem to impact him much, if at all, in that Ravens game. Pittsburgh also making a couple other practice squad moves, signing running back Jack Coletto to the practice squad, kind of a fullback running back type uh, at Oregon State. Team releasing two players in my guy, Xander Horvath. He's been uh, released and also punter Brad Wing released from the practice squad, which certainly means that Presley Harvin should be good for week seven against the Rams. Yeah. Uh, good news when it comes to Harvin there. And, you know, Wing had that touching Instagram post and all like that. Good for him. I mean, how many times oh, do yeah. you see, you know, let alone punters, but how many times do you see NFL players have that? that far of gap out of, you know, between NFL games. I mean, I know we had a post on it, right. About, uh, uh, former Steelers that have done it for, you know, have, have, have returned to the team, but, but, uh, how many guys do you actually see out of the game, come back and actually play in an NFL game, uh, with, with that kind of span. So good, good for him. And, you know, he's, 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 he's had, you know, I think some addiction problems and all that he's over uh, overcame and all like that. So a, a nice success story for him. Was that the longest? I, I know, I think you had done the research or, or Joe Clark wrote the article in terms of the longest span between time with the Steelers. Was that the I, I don't think it was. I don't think it was the longest. Wasn't it, uh, wasn't hey, it Walter, Walter Raspy end up being, I, I forget. I mean, there were four or five of them that, that we wrote about in their Plaxico, Walter Raspy, uh, what Chad Brown, I think, uh, mm-hmm. uh, w- uh, Willie Williams, right. Was another one. I don't think it was the longest one, but it was right up, right up in there. I'm looking at the post here. I know none of this really matters, but I'm, I want to go down the rabbit hole on this one. It matters to us. Yeah, it does matter to us. You're right. It was Walter Rasby, according to the article, uh, first stint 1995 last appearance in 2005. So, or last appearance of his first stint was 95. And then 2005 so good call there all right and also don't know if it was on the post but david trout the kicker i think was about six years apart never playing in the nfl between that span and then i think came back and in the i think the strike shortened 87 season so that was one other name i, I did want to mention in terms of guys that had a uh, long gaps between their their nfl resume well that guy anyway. missed, uh, reminds me there's there's a post somewhere on depot about all the misses that he had during a span there seems like trout in 87. Yeah. I think it was the 87 year was, it was, I think it was, that was the strike year, I think. Right. And they had to get all the replacement players and trout was one of those guys who had not been in the NFL since 81 with the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. Anyway, none of that. I know really. We got down some weird rabbit holes on this <laughs> bye week. It's the bye week. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll chalk it up to that. Uh, where to from here, Dave? Deontay Johnson is speaking with the media and asked if he's going to play against the Rams. He said, hell yeah, I'm coming back. He's been working his butt off, he said. Feels good, feels healthy. Should be good to go for week seven. And boy, oh boy, does this offense need Deontay Johnson. Boy, what a great uh, re-addition that will be, assuming that comes to fruition. And I, I think he said that he really kind of tested it uh, uh, early this week here. And he he does seem to be on course. And uh, that, that should be a shot in, uh, in the arm for this offense, for sure. You know, have your guy, your best separator on the team, uh, 
they they need him, and it'll be good to get him back after the bye. Sure. Uh, still, arguably, maybe their their most complete receiver, if not their best receiver, certainly their best route runner, and it's going to take some of the the attention off George Pickens, give you that true X receiver. Maybe it'll allow you to do a bit more with Calvin Austin in terms of the gadget-ish type of stuff as opposed to kind of more traditional, conventional receivers. So there's a big trickle-down effect there. And just really the week six by in general, again, every bye week is a good bye week to get healthy. But with all the injuries this team is dealing with, Frymuth, the O-line stuff of James Daniels, Harvin obviously, Pickett, now with the Watt injury, just, just a really good time for this team to take a break, get some rest. And again, doing that off of Ravens win, you feel so much better this week than had you lost that game. Absolutely. Hopefully this team will get uh, uh, Daniels back after the bye, and we'll see about Firemuth and, and 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 all like that. So slowly, slowly getting uh, more healthy. During the bye, we can hear from the coaches and also the positional coaches, but it was Terrell Austin, the D.C., speaking on Tuesday. Nomad Canada speaking, so take that for whatever it's worth. We don't believe he's he, getting fired. He, he speaks today, doesn't he? Or oh, does he speak? Oh, because yeah, I guess they're doing the offense-defense yeah. thing today, right? Yeah. Okay, my mistake, my mistake. I'm just so used to Austin and Canada speaking on the same day, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but Austin uh, was asked about Joey Porter Jr., and throughout the entire season so far, you know, Austin's been very slow playing Porter's role and obviously Porter's role expanded in the second half of the Ravens game. And he responded with a pick, but was asked point blank is Joey Porter jr. Now the starter and Austin kind of joked about it for a moment. Cause he always gets this question and then said, not yet or not right now that time uh, when the time comes, the time comes. So still not committing to Porter being a starter, Dave. At least it doesn't sound like they are. Uh, could they be playing games? I don't know. Uh, but it, 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 and then I think, uh, somewhere in there, he mentioned how he didn't have the best of games or, or, uh, was it as assignment sound? I forget the exact quote against the, the Raiders and all like that. But, uh, yeah, look, I, I, I was disappointed to hear that come out of all, I, I would much rather him just say, we'll see, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my thoughts here is just. Almost what you said, we'll see. Let's see what his use is against the Rams. I mean, he can say whatever he wants, but as long as Porter's not back into that dime-only role, then I'll accept whatever they end up doing with him. As long as he's maintaining his role, expanding his role, not just being the third and long kind of guy, then then I, even if he's not the technical starter where maybe he's not working in your base package or something like that, but as long as there's an uptick in snaps, then then I can accept whatever they want to define starter versus non-starter is this guy's played. He's played well. He's worked hard. Yes. There's still some things to work on tackling probably some of the zone techniques, but this guy deserves more playing time and not to be kind of stuck in, in dime only situations where you may only play a couple of snaps. I think Grady, uh, they talked to Grady Brown, the defensive backs coach. And I think he, uh, had a little bit more rosier outlook. Uh, he said, I think there's a chance whoever is playing well will start. That's the goal at the end of the day. He finished the game in a good spot. We'll see if he starts. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about are you making the plays that need to be made? I'm not sure that it really matters who starts, he says. that That's kind of more of a out for him, I guess. Uh, by him saying that, but uh, he says it's about when they throw the ball out there, who's out there, and how how's that guy playing. So, I, you know, he says we'll see if he starts. It it, 
at the very least, like like you said, maybe he maybe he continues uh, uh, in the uptick in 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 the role that he had against the Ravens. How would you handle it? How would you determine Porter snaps for Week Seven if you were in charge? Man, I try to get him out there uh, as much as as much as possible, man. Uh, and I know we've we've had this conversation several mm-hmm. times, even dating back to uh, you know the the, the, the preseason there. I'd like to get him starting on that on that other side, and then whatever whatever movements I got to make, you know, e- even if it means, you know, Patrick Peterson seeing less time, you know, uh, if you wanted to leave Levi Wallace on that other side or what have you, uh, there, uh, Peterson's not the same player. Peterson's going to be one and done in Pittsburgh, isn't he? I'm not ready to say those things. I think Tomlin will like him a lot, but. He can't be the outside corner next year. I don't think if he's going to be back, it's going to have to be in a reduced role that's more slot rotational focused. I mean, I, I at at this point, you know, five games in and 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 by week, you know, adjustments or whatever, you know, what what little is done in there. I mean, I I would like to see him out there, and I think everybody listening would would, would as well. So are you saying you want him at right corner or left corner or left left where he's been okay. playing? Yeah. Okay. So then how would you handle the Peterson? Well, we, 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 I mean, we, we talk about this every show. I mean, uh, I, I think, I think first I would move Peterson over to the other side and okay. see how, how that goes. But I mean, there, there's, there's six different ways probably you could go about doing this. Sure. I just didn't know. So you would have Sullivan probably like in your base nickel package. You would have Sullivan in the slot. I mean, yeah, you, you got Desmond King. King. I mean, yeah. that that becomes a whole different conversation on top of it. And we talk about okay. what it, what exactly does Chandon Sullivan bring you? You know, that mm-hmm. maybe King couldn't bring you plus a little bit there. You know, because uh, because King's a lot a lot more physical. Uh, he should be up to speed as well at this point too. So once again, there's there's five or six different ways you could go about doing this. My main contention is I would like to see Joey Porter. However, you want to handle the rest of it, I, I would like to see Joey Porter starting at left outside cornerback. But it doesn't. It, who cares what Dave thinks? I mean, it, it doesn't sound like that's going to happen after the buy. Yeah. I think at least in nickel packages, if you don't want him as your base guy and have Peterson Wallace be your corners, okay, I can live with that. But at least in 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 nickel, Porter should be the left corner, and then I think you, you kick Peterson inside of the slot or maybe a rotation on the other side with with Peterson and Wallace. But I, I'd probably prefer Peterson inside. I mean, I think he's mentally strong enough to handle. I mean, there's there's obviously going to be. Uh, some some peaks and valleys as, as as he grows, but yeah, I think he's mentally tough enough to to overcome whatever those might look like. Sure, I, I think there's been some value in slow playing this thing. I understand they didn't want to put too much on his plate early in the season, but we're now you know we're going to be in week seven when this team plays again, and he's going to have a full training camp, whole off season program, preseason, the first five games of the season, a bye week. He's progressed. He's shown he can play. Is it going to be perfect on the other side? No, but I, I, as you said, I think it's mentally tough and, and worked hard and been around football enough to know the highs and lows of the of this of the sport and of the position, and he's going to be able to handle that. Uh, would you start him coming out of the bye in nickel packages? Like I said, I think you know base three four. If you want to take that off his plate, it's a little bit more the the run demanding situations. Fine, but in in nickel, he should be the starting left corner for every single rep, and then you kick Peterson probably to the slot. All right, and maybe that's what happens. 
yeah. So we'll see. I mean, Austin, as you said, maybe just being a little, you know, little gamesmanship there, but we'll we'll check the snaps against the Rams and report back. All right. All right, Dave, all 22s come out. We both uh, watched it through. What are your impressions? Let's start with the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. What are your thoughts here on this group overall from this Ravens game? I thought overall the offensive line played well. Uh, I thought there were a little bit, a couple more. They looked like they were close to maybe popping uh, one or two of these runs. Uh, it was all mostly zone, <laughs> right? I think there was one gap run. Uh, uh, in this uh, pass protection overall. I mean, look, uh, 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 the pressure rate was half, I think, uh, uh, what it normally is. Now, I think Kenny did do a good job, as I mentioned, getting the ball out a lot quicker. And all. Just overall takeaway is, is, is the offensive line played better. They obviously still have, have, have a ways to go in the running game. They have got to fix this running games quick. Uh, I think that will make the passing game even that much better. Bill Cowher talked about that uh, uh, on his appearance on Dan Patrick a couple of days ago after the Ravens game uh, there. Uh, I don't care who you put out there at running back at this point. Uh, now, look, uh, Jalen Warren, I think in total yards has has like uh, four or five more total yards from scrimmage than Najee Harris does at this point. But if you look at these two, um, side by side when it just comes to rushing the football and their success rates in particular, really their yards per carry and their success rates, there's not really a discernible difference there. It'd be one thing if you say, man, look at look at the ones out there and the success rates this much higher and the yards per carry is, is noticeable there. But I mean, there's not. And that all falls back down on, on scheme and, and, and the run blocking and all like that. So, uh, but there were, there did seem to be a, a few more crease. They need to start turning these three and four yard runs into five and six yard runs. Yeah. I mean, again, I thought the run game for a Baltimore matchup was you, you take it, it's acceptable overall. But my frustration is, and you mentioned this pretty zone heavy. They're just a bad zone running team. And Mason Cole in particular, I think, really struggles on on that track. And I'm just watching Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith be unblocked on half these runs. Just nobody getting a hat. And and that may be not a scheme thing, but where guys are supposed to climb, but they can't. Or miscommunication about who's going to climb, who's going to overtake. But you, you can't have inside backers unblocked in, in the run game, especially when it's Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, two of the better guys in football, Smith one of the best right up there with red Warner. So those guys just were on block consistently and, and you're not going to make much. hay when you, when you let, let that happen. And I think some of their better successes were some of those edge runs, right? Specifically, you know, Pickens and uh, the Warren uh, run and all like that. So uh, I don't know why they insist on, on, on not liking to pull, 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 pull those guards more than they're doing. Yeah. Um, I think Cole continues to to struggle overall. One really positive to me, you know, zeroing in on Broderick Jones, especially in pass pro, I thought he was excellent. I thought much, much better than he was against Houston, which you would kind of expect whenever you're the starter the whole week, you can really practice and prepare in that capacity. But his his first punch was better. He was making good contact, his feet, ability to mirror, um, change directions, run out in space, think on that pickings. And around you see just him get on the hoof, hoof as you like to say, and, and be able to to get a hat on on somebody. So 
really good game for Broderick Jones. I, I agree. I thought Sam Malo did a good, they, they, they did a lot better job. I think across the, the line of picking up those twists and stunts that we talked about. Uh, I think that sticks out as well too. The passing game still, still clunky though, right? It is. Uh, my thoughts really are unchanged from watching the game live. You got a lot of single coverage on George Pickens, which allowed some of those, you know, the deep ball, the touchdown, of course, the back shoulder fades. And again, I was surprised by how often Pickens was truly 1v1 because that really plays into his skill set, into what Kenny Pickett likes to do. And I thought Baltimore's maybe a, a touch blitz heavy in this game because it created some of those 1v1 matchups. Uh Kenny has some very nice back shoulder throws in this game. Uh, one from the, you know, from uh, to 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 the long side of the field. One to the short side of the field. There, I thought thought he did good on that. I mean, he can he can make all the throws. Sure, there's not there's no throw that I don't think he's capable of making. The arm talent, quote unquote, it's not overwhelming, but it's not going to be the reason he can't succeed. Right. I just think that, uh, you know. Th- th- I want to see him moving on into this season. I want to see him make more, more throws on more bigger throws, more than, you know, six, seven, eight yards down the field on schedule. Sure. And I think this game, like I said earlier, played into to what he likes to do. He likes the sideline. He likes letting his guys go up there and, and make a play. He likes the back shoulder throw. You saw that a ton in training camp, saw it a ton last season. So this was kind of the first time all season that became available to him. And and I think it's a big reason why you saw Pickett play better. You know, but even late in the game, and I mentioned this throw on Monday show, this was late in the game, a third down Allen Robinson where Pickett's under pressure, stands tall in the pocket, hits Robinson beating zone coverage and, and they convert. So to me that was a big time throw. I thought Pickett did do a better job overall hanging tough in the pocket and kind of playing from there more often. And the results were better. Well, you you look at what 49ers are doing, man. It looks looks like two total. I mean, uh, the anticipatory and 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 the accuracy over the middle of the field. You just wish that you could see more of this out of this. But how many years now have we ta- been talking about even with with, with Ben of 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 this offense attacking the middle of the field more and getting more of those daggers and more of those. Uh, you know, uh, over the top of second level throws. I mean, there was, you know, a good sale throw uh, in, in this game, but there, there's, there's not enough, uh, there's not enough of that stuff. Uh, and we talked about the yards after the catch out, you know, uh, on Monday, right? I mean, there's still not a lot of instances overall where there's a lot of, 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 of yards after the catch at this team is, is, is getting, I been, Ben talked on his podcast about would like to see more of the screen game in there. Now, look, they they're they're they have when you talk about running back screen game, <laughs> we've we've been they haven't done that well in a while there. But could they, you know, more kind of tunnel screens and and stuff like that to get kind of people moving? I know people as uh, listening as a whole just despise wide receiver screens, but could that be something that this team does? I mean, yeah, you can throw it in. I think once Deontay comes back, if somebody who's a bit shiftier helps whenever you, you know, it's harder, I think, to throw the screen to a George Pickens or an Allen Robinson type. I mean, you could do obviously some stuff with Calvin, but, you know, those aren't maybe, at least in terms of Pickens and Robinson, your ideal 
screen type of guys that aren't super twitchy and kind of a bit more, you know, Robinson has lost his speed and Pickens is kind of more of a long strider buildup type of a dude. So I think Deontay coming back will try to give you another option there that probably works better. And from a Yak standpoint, if, you know, hit a couple of big plays, but they are like, they're easily top 10 in yards after catch per reception. And they were the worst in football last year. So I think we've seen a pretty good improvement there. I mean, Warren's had you know uh, some nice yards after the catch when 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 they've gotten the ball. But uh, but talking about receivers as a whole and outside of the extra yardage that Pickens got on 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 his catch and run for a touchdown, just got to see you know something we've talked about for a while. You got to see more more situations if they're going to play this short game uh, of of more instances where they get these wide receivers moving in space and get the yards after the catch. Sure. And again, I think Deontay, when you get him back, it's going to be something that that'll help with that. Uh, too many sprint outs in this one, thinking like the span of 15 plays, they ran three sprint outs and two of them to the left and they were all two of them were incomplete. And one of them was a difficult catch by Allen Robinson. So when you're, you know, suppose your, your quote unquote layup play of get a couple free yards is struggling that much. You want to probably do something a bit different. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, any other thoughts here? offensively Dave not, not not really offensively I think we've hit on everything it's not that exciting of tape to watch overall mm-hmm. I did enjoy and I did somebody mention this I, I think somebody might have said this in our group chat but the rep of Connor Hayward trying to block Brent Urban their big defensive end did not go well for Connor he got thrown not sure why they asked Connor to do that that's uh pretty foolish to me but he uh he got wrecked on that rep he's had a cut he he, he gives the effort on those cuts though oh yeah I mean he, he's blocking his split flow the uh, backside end man, and and that's what he can do. But uh, he was asked to base block a defensive end, and it went about as well as you would expect. Okay. All right, defensively, Dave, what are your thoughts here when it comes to Pittsburgh's defense? Uh, Baltimore left a lot of plays on the field there. I thought they tightened up as, as the game went on and got out of that first quarter and all like that. But uh, early, I, I get some of that zone stuff. There was there was two two easy uh, pitching catches in there. Obviously, they were uh, Baltimore dropped a couple of those touchdowns that we talked about there. Uh, once they were once they kind of tightened up against that run as well too. Because and Baltimore, shame on Baltimore. They got away from some of the stuff. It felt like that they were doing good early in the game with with the with the run uh, there, and you know they were able to kind of slow down the crashing of Highsmith early uh, there with that, uh, with Jackson taking off with one, they ended up getting a touchdown off, off of one, but by him kind of uh, 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 pl- you know, slow rolling that on the outside there. Uh, I thought everything tightened up as the game went on. I, and, and once again, point to kind of the turning point of that Larry Ogan Joby punch out uh, there kind of from that moment on, they seem to be a little bit more in control uh, 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 of things, but, you know, there were certain times during this game where the where the pile was moving uh moving in the wrong direction, I thought there. So they still have a ways to go, I think, in tightening up against the run. Uh and you know, some of these zone coverages though, they're uh, in the second level, there's still still seems like too many easy pitch and catches. Yeah, it's a good point about the run game. I thought Pittsburgh got off to a poor start defending it. The Jack uh, excuse me, the Jackson twenty six yard run the justice hill touchdown just poor contain overall not being you know gap sound with your run fits but better as the game went on i thought pittsburgh was able to to adjust and and respond 
uh, probably in the appropriate fashion. I, I just thought overall, certainly while Baltimore had so many missed chances and they could have easily built a big first half lead and probably win this game, all of that is true. Just thought it was a good game plan against Lamar Jackson to at least contain him in the sense of keeping him within the pocket and not letting him scramble and make some of those out of structure plays that he can do as well as basically any quarterback in football blitz heavy sending five you're sending six um you're really just trying to be aggressive and make him play from within the pocket and again i think he's capable of that he's, he's gotten better this year i think he's, he's had a really good year he's going to continue to have a really good year but you'd rather have him in the pocket as opposed to scrambling outside of it and i just thought the game plan from that aspect was was pretty sound and then uh, you know, obviously in the second half there, when it got into some certain weighty moments, the defense really rose to the occasion in there. You know, whether it be Watt, whether it be Highsmith, uh, obviously the Joey Porter uh, play. Uh, you get uh, in in that short field situation in those first two plays uh, of that drive. They did a great job of defending the grass in that one of those uh, 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 runs by Gus Edwards over to the left side there. Uh, they, they in the second half, especially once again, in, in kind of those weighty moments, they they really were the dominant team in that situation. Yeah, you really saw the impact of having a TJ Watt and an Alex Highsmith, those guys making, you know, big time impact plays. My only really other thought here defensively, Dave, is and again, I mentioned this Monday, but just watching the tape more, just how much this defense was ball searching. The Ogunjobi force fumble, the Highsmith force fumble, even Sullivan, when he got cooked on that slot fade. He forced the fumble. He knocked the ball out, and it just happened to roll out of bounds. And there was a whole challenge off of that, which Pittsburgh somehow technically won. But um, even whenever you know guys were trying to go to the ground, they were trying to punch the ball out. Sometimes they didn't always do it, but there's just a real clear effort this year to ball search, to rip the football out. They got 11 forced fumbles, Dave, in the first five wow. games Pittsburgh does. They've recovered six of them. I think both those numbers are either tied or tops in football. They got more forced fumbles created this year than they have all of last year. So you've seen that from Watt and Highsmith and the inside backers and Cole Holcomb's got a pair. Open Joby's got, of course, the one. So I just, this is not to me a real consistent defense or not really stable. And part of that's because of Kim Hayward and other, you know, schematic and personal reasons, but they are a splashy defense. They got what 17 sacks this season. They got 11 forced fumbles. They got, I think, 11 total takeaways when you factor in fumbles recovered and, and interceptions. So um, if you're not going to be a really stout top-end unit that's really consistent, you better be one that can create splash plays, and this defense is at least doing that. Uh, Benton had some really good reps uh, during this game. I think you pointed out one on Twitter specifically against the run. I thought Larry Ogunjobi, if you focus in on him, uh, he really looked powerful in this game uh, 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 up front. Uh, obviously, he chasing down and get the uh, get the punch out in that one. Uh, if anything, uh, a, a takeaway uh, going into the bye is he he looked he looked healthy, uh, very very healthy, very very strong uh, up front on a defensive line. There, the bye week now you get that week to to to, to kind of rest there. I know he had. I think that was a stinger probably that 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 he got during that game there. I don't think that's uh, overly concerning, at least from 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 what I saw there. But uh, uh, I I just can't help but think though. Going back, what what would this front look like with Cameron Hayward in it? Would he have like four sacks by now? How many TFLs would he have uh, at, at this point? I thought uh, I thought Watts had a pretty decent game up front overall. Louder Milk really didn't stick out uh, too too terribly much. I thought 
Montrevious Adams is his. It looks like his get offs improved up front. Yeah, I mean he's a super athlete. I mean even just watching him end of the game, I think it was on the Ravens' last drive or next to last drive. Lamar's running out of bounds, and who's chasing him? It's Montrevious Adams, and the effort and the athleticism to do that. He's he's a different type of body in the middle, but I think he's played really well starting since camp and and carrying that on through. All right. When when Cam comes back, how do you handle Benton? I mean, is it just going to be kind of going back to nose tackle only? I think you try to find ways to play him at end and nose tackle. Well, you know, Cam obviously is not going to want to play nose tackle. No, no, I'm not. I'm not suggesting. I mean, Cam's going to be your starting right defensive end, obviously. But just how do you handle the snaps for Benton at that point? I mean, you got to get him on the field as much as possible. So if it's at at, at defensive end, then then so be it. Right. So. Or, just or, curious or, to see. Or, or over the nose there. I mean, he's, he's obviously more, more comfortable in there. Uh, are we going to see a game with, 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 with the shape of this offense line and, and assuming the health stays the same that it is right now, are we ever going to see a game where he plays 50 snaps this year? It doesn't feel like it. Probably not, but I don't think he has to. I think what he played against Baltimore, it was what, 30-something snaps, 47% of the total snaps. That, that's fine to me. He's still a rookie, and you're not going to, you know, the guys that can play 80% of the snaps, those are the Cam Haywards of the world. Those are like the real high-end guys that you trust implicitly. I'm not going to put all that on Benton. So I think his snap count, you know, and again, once Hayward comes back, that number's going to come down probably more than people want. But, um, you know, if he's playing 40%, 45% as a rookie, if this group's totally healthy, then, then I'm okay with that. I think you can see him t- getting a lot more comfortable in that front. Some of the, the some of the concerns coming out of draft with him with the with the balance and stuff like that seem to have gone away now, which is good at least a- as a whole. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think he's played well. I think development uh, of him is is great, and it'll be interesting to see how he's used once Cam Hayward gets back. I thought the secondary tackling was poor. I think. Or Josh Carney had Peterson down for a couple misses, Wallace for one, Minka for one. But the inside linebackers to me were excellent. Some of the critical open field tackling. We talk about all the hidden plays, you know, Rodney Williams preventing that fumble recovery from being a touchdown. But how about Quan Alexander open field tackle on Mark Andrews on that shovel pass on second and goal? He doesn't make that tackle. Even if he makes the tackle, but Andrews falls forward given his size, that's probably a touchdown or he's like an inch away and they just probably sneak it in on third and goal. So that is a huge play. Alexander blowing up the screen. Roberts had a big third down open field stop on justice Hill. Uh, Holcomb with a breakup end of the game. Thought the inside backers had some really big time moments in that fourth quarter. And Alexander, as we mentioned, cleaned up that sack. Uh, as mm-hmm. well, I went back and looked at that as well, too. There's no way I can give, uh, I, I can't give TJ uh, a half on that. I'm sorry. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Because, if he, if he, if he um, ends with 22 Lamar, and a half sacks again, I'm blaming you. All right. Uh, he, Lamar kind of spins out of that. And if, if Alexander doesn't clean that up, I I, I, I think uh, Lamar gets a couple of yards there. So uh, I don't think he would have gone down without the help of that, you know, fully without Alexander making the tackle there. Gotcha. But either way, you take the sack and, you know, again, that's part of the, the rushing extra people to really help contain Lamar Jackson. That was a good strategy when Pittsburgh rushed only four. Uh, Jackson's quarterback rating went up 75% or so, and he was able to make some of those plays, the third and 18 conversion, some of the, the scrambles he did have, because A, when you rush four, it's just tougher to contain in general, and then certainly when it's against Lamar, you're really asking a lot to 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 contain him with a four-man rush. 
Right. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, go into a little bit more depth on the containment of uh, Lamar Jackson real quick. Yeah, there's a video on the site this morning you guys can check out that really probably breaks it down. Um, again, blitzed him 51.1% of the time. That is a season high that Pittsburgh has blitzed this season. Um, the quarterback rating for Jackson whenever he was blitzed was, I think, 47.0. When he wasn't blitzed, it was like 81.5, which isn't a tremendous number, but certainly a better number overall. So the way that you handle Lamar is you can't spy him because your spy is never going to be able to win 1v1 in open field. You really have to to rush five and contain and, and and account for every single gap that he could escape from. So whenever you do that, you kind of constrict the pocket, make him play from there. Again, he can play from there. He played well from there. The receivers really let him down. I want to recognize that, but you still would rather if Jackson play from within the pocket as opposed to scrambling around and making all those kind of crazy out of structure plays. So, I mean, it's a strategy that they're going to probably employ again in the week 18 meeting. It's really the best way to handle some of these really athletic, potent, in open field quarterbacks. You really can't just rush for and, you know, try to contain them that way. You really have to, I think, constrict the pocket, let them, you know, play from there. And you did get some interior pressure as well with Neil, with the backers to, uh, to get some sacks. How many explosive plays did they give up in this game? Let's see the, their longest play was a 30 yard one to Aguilar that, uh, uh, was challenged with the with 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 the uh, fumble or the force out by by Sullivan. Uh, that was thirty yards. They had the in the second quarter the pass deep to Zay Flowers for twenty nine. Uh, Jackson and Lamar had that early uh, uh, run in the game for twenty six yards, and then there was the other. 20 yards. So they allowed four uh, to, to, to Jackson to flowers in the third quarter there. They did leave a couple of explosive plays on the field there. But I mean, uh, when you look at the final stat sheet to, to allow only four explosive plays uh, to them with Jackson taken off on one of them, not, not a bad job overall. No, it's not. Although, as you said, they certainly could have had at least two more with the Aguilar drop right. and the Zay Flowers falling down. And actually probably the, the catch you would have had on that first possession would have probably been an explosive play too. So could have been seven, but again, it wasn't. And Pittsburgh did enough to capitalize. Right. And when you look at the talk stat, we haven't talked about the talk, talk stat mm. in a while. Uh, let's see. It was four explosive plays for the Ravens, five for the Steelers. So they were plus one there and they were, on the turnovers, it was what three to one. Yes, I think you're right about that. And then, however, I mean, I you got to you got to consider the safety a turnover. Yeah, I put that in there. That's fair. So, so four to one on that. What 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 if they still would have? Because what they didn't, but what if and obviously you wouldn't have had that extra takeaway in there by Joey Porter Jr. But you still would have won the tox battle. By three, I think, and you would have lost the game. You potentially lost the game there. So that's mm-hmm. how that magnifies that safety and 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 that interception by Joey Porter Jr. Yeah, I mean, just all, the, all those sequences, whether it's the killer brew block, which I, I broke down. I I didn't. I mean, Pittsburgh ran kind of a little twist there, but I thought Baltimore had it addressed. They didn't get caught flat footed. They had the right guys in place to block it up. Killer they Bruce just didn't just, execute it. Yeah. yeah the, the up man did a bad job of blocking killer. Brew did a great job of ripping threes. I mean, he's like a TJ Watt of, of the punt rush team. He's got three blocks in three years. All have come in the fourth quarter. So they're all big time moments. He's been able to, to put his hand on the football 
and just really good technique to to defeat blocks and get vision on on the foot of the punter and, and get his hand down and and block it away. So that is just that is a dude that coordinators will have to account for every single week, and that's a big threat. Well, well going back to kind of conversation, I don't know if we had this on the live stream, or whatnot. Did it feel like this was spe- like specially schemed up in this situation? I mean, to a degree, you know, Killer Booth talked about they, they've been working on this for three weeks. You got to get it in the right situation when you have your punt rush team on. So it can't be a kind of a safe return when you're not really rushing. So whenever it's, you know, late game, fourth quarter, they're backed up, um, you're down, you're trying to get a splash play, you're going to put the punt rush on. And so that's kind of when you go for it. But again, I didn't think Pittsburgh's scheme was so, it's not like Killer Booth came in free unblocked, you know, they right. didn't really confuse anybody. So there's an element to, yeah, it was, you know, a, a fine call, but. It really came down to me, the the execution, the technique the Killibur used to rip through the block and then actually block the punt. 95% effort went into that, making that yeah. successful. Um, I just, you know, he, just a dude. And we talk about, oh, why do they keep special teamers, Dave? Why do they have these just teams guys? Well, this is why you have some of these teams guys. Boykin as a gunner was impactful in this game. And Killebrew, if, if he doesn't do that, they probably lose that game. So that's why you hold on to some of those guys. All right, that's a great segue for what I'm about to run by you next here. Uh, All right, hit me. Uh, Gunnar Olszewski, you know, we've talked quite a bit about what's the deal with his contract and all like that, and obviously kind of wondering what's going to happen with him when, when Deontay comes back. And uh, I double-checked with Joel Corey, like I promised. I thought that uh, Gunnar's uh, base salary was fully guaranteed for the remainder of the season. It is. Okay, so he was considered vested. Right. Uh, so, but even so, from from what he's been paid to what's left on 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 the deal at this point, it's it's not like it's catastrophic. If you decided, look, it's time to move on. Could Gunner be a guy that you? Let me ask you this. And I don't know how much value he'd have. I don't know. You seeing some guys getting swapped for six and you know, trade the trading of the that's become an in thing now, hasn't it? The swapping of like six and seventh mm-hmm. uh uh picks to to uh to to get rid of guys with the trade deadline a couple of weeks away now, could there be a team out there potentially willing to swap a uh a six for a seventh for a guy like Gunner? No. Why would no. <laughs> how would they do that? He's been I, terrible. I mean we've seen some deals go down that you kind of head scratchers, right? Yeah, but like for guys that have contributed or just have lost their roles because of other, you know, the Van Jefferson getting traded to the Falcons because Puka Nakua is playing well and cups back and Jefferson's kind of been phased out. Gunner's been terrible. I mean, no one's gonna no one's gonna want Gunnar Olszewski, nor, nor should they. Will they cut him? They they, they really McFarlane, should. McFarland hopefully coming right. back soon. Deontay's coming back. Deontay's coming back. I mean, there's no use. There's no use for Gunner at this point. And yeah, you owe him the money, but that's a sunk cost fallacy. You already, right. He's already paid the money. It's already accounted for whether you, whether you have him on the roster or not. So yeah, McFarland. We assume he's going to probably be be back soon. Equip uh, UK, the running back, could do some return stuff. You have Austin. You know, if Gunner's gone, Austin's your starting punt return. We'll say Austin gets hurt. If you had to put Deontay out there just to go fair catch some some punts, he can do that. That's fine. Um, we we talked about it Monday. Neither of us. Listen, I feel bad for Gunner, and I took a lot of crap on Twitter because if you show empathy for anybody, apparently people get mad about that. I'm not saying you have to keep the guy. I just feel bad because I think he's trying and he's just having just a terrible couple of years, and he kind of knows his time's probably up. So I can have empathy, but also recognize this guy can't touch a football in Pittsburgh again, and he 
has no real value and, and probably should be cut. And it's not like he's got additional special teams value. No, or really much offensive value. Right. There's minimal stuff. To, he's not bringing you anything. So once you're healthy, once Deontay's off IR, if McFarland's off IR for the Rams game, then then what is Gunner bringing you? I Nothing. And <laughs> uh, at this point, I would be surprised if he lasts three more weeks. Yeah, I imagine once they make their IR, because once Johnson and Mc, I guess once McFarland comes off IR, Iguabuke is going to get released or waived, whatever the classification is there. But once Johnson comes back officially off IR, probably that Saturday, the day before the Rams game, then I haven't followed it too much in terms of what the roster moves will look like. But that might be the time where, where Gunner gets to Hefo. Yeah, well, I mean, automatically you're going to have to open up a spot for Deontay, right? Right. I just don't know. I'm not thinking about how many receivers they have, what other injuries there could be. So, but I, that, that would be a logical thing where once Johnson is activated off IR, then, then Gunner is probably the, uh, the way they clear that spot. Yeah. I think you just lick your wounds with them with one of these upcoming. Now, obviously another injury could happen, but I mean, there's not going to be a, hopefully unless somebody falls down the stairs, there's not going to be an injury in this next week. Uh, you know, but, uh, I, I, it, it could quite possibly happen here when this team gets back from the bye. When, because uh, well, first they'll designate Johnson mm-hmm. to return, and then obviously you'll you'll have a twenty-one day window open up for him. Uh, but you would think the neck the first Saturday, the right. a week a week from this coming Saturday is when Johnson would officially go back on the fifty-three, mm-hmm. and then that's when you'd have to make your move. Right, so I think the day before the Rams game, Johnson officially goes to the 53. So I think Gunner will be kept throughout the bye and throughout the week of practice. But once Johnson is, because they're going to use all the time they can with with, uh, with Deontay, but that's Saturday, the day before the Rams game, probably when Gunner's time comes due. I mean, you're not going to cut a corner or defensive back. No, you're, you're going to you're, you're you're cut not, Gunner. You're not going to cut an offensive lineman. You're not going to cut a, uh, any other skill. Well, you, you'll cut, I, I guess... The running back, uh, e- e- Donald e- e- uh, uh, Godwin, uh, Godway, Godwin. Uh, why do I put Donald in there? I don't know why you put Donald in there. Isn't there a Donald Iguabuquay? E- 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 anyway, I don't think I don't. I don't know. But but with Godwin, he could potentially be one that moves. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what Farland's status is. If he's ready to come back for week seven, then that's going to be the move there. If he's not, then it becomes a little interesting what they do. I, I think they probably still keep equal with UK as a third running back just in case somebody gets, you know, pulls a hammy in practice or warm ups or something like that. Uh, there is a Donald Equip UK, but he was drafted in 1985 as a kicker okay. by the Buccaneers. So that's uh, that's where you're getting that I, one from. I don't, I don't know why that name stuck in my head. He's actually, he's actually related to. He's the first cousin once removed of Godwin Equip UK. If Wikipedia is uh, accurate to me, okay, that that doesn't give me a pass there. But uh, anyway, all right, uh, all right, we covered the Gunner thing there. I, I think within the next three weeks, he's got off the roster. I think, yeah, by the time the Rams game kicks off, he's no longer a Steeler. That's my guess. All right. All right, Dave, anything else here to talk about? Or do you want to get to a couple of reader emails and close out today's show? All right. I think we hit on everything, didn't we? I think so. If not, Friday's going to be pretty light. So we'll uh, clean up any messes for Friday. All right, let's move on to some emails here. Oh, here's a good one from Glenn Thomas. I would like 
uh, like your take on whether it was a mistake for George Pickens to go into the end zone with 120 left in the game to score the go-ahead touchdown. If Pickens takes a knee at the three-yard line, there is 115 left in the game. The Ravens have two timeouts. Steelers can run down the clock and kick a field goal to win the game with no time left, 11 to 10, which would have been appropriately an ugly score. Would that but would that have been a uh uh no score gummy because that no, was no the Troy. Gummy. Remember Troy okay. had that it was that eleven to ten where they they robbed him with a touchdown uh, okay. at the end of the game, right? Remember right, right. I, I think you good call there. Yeah. Uh but it, it goes back to his question here. That's a great question. Let's no, see. I think go in the end zone. No. Score the touchdown, dude. Like Hey, it's so impossible to to do in Pittsburgh these days, but you don't know what could happen. A block kick, come off snap. You got a relatively new holder in there. And yeah, they could have, they could have put the clock down to to one second, but they couldn't even do it when they actually did it. You know, they had the whole mess of that, that kneel down with 10 guys out there and the penalty that stopped the clock. So what if you screw that whole (laughs) sequence up and there's 40 seconds left, it's 11 to 10 and you got Justin Tucker on the other side, just get the midfield and he's in range. So no, get in the end zone. I'm fine with it. Let's see. It was, uh, after the two point conversion. Okay. No, let's see. Going in, going into that, what was it to give us? 10 8 Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And he scored at the 123, was when the play started there. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting question. I understand why he's asking it. Sure. I get it, but I disagree wholeheartedly. Score, make it, make it, a, make it a touchdown game. I don't want any sort of field goal potential game with Tucker on the other side. Okay. Uh, let's. Move I mean, do you on. think he should have gone down there if you had to? I, if you I haven't, all I haven't given. All, uh, uh, to to expect a guy to even do that in that moment, I think is a little much. I mean, we've seen players do probably more veteran. Yeah. You know, Mahomes, I think, went down in the recent game there instead of scoring. But again, I think given the circumstance. Just, just get the ball in the end zone, the man. Yeah, and snap. It, you never know what can happen. Yeah, it is. It is an it, it is an interesting question, though. There, uh, we we should it, just briefly talk about that mess at the end. That that just kneel the ball down, they, and they try to put in a different personnel because they they were in victory formation for the first two snaps, and the third one they change out personnel. They try to put in, and they had Anderson 10, as, as David O pointed out to us, 10, 10 guys on the field there. Yeah, which I guess is why a core four got flagged because. He was supposed to be covered up. Right, right. So were you missing a wide receiver on the field at that time? I don't know if the person that was requiring a receiver, but I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what they were trying to do. Just just kneel the ball down, man. Just just. And that's probably another reason why it's good. Pickens didn't didn't not score there because Pittsburgh screwed up the whole ending to that game. Yeah, 10, 10, uh, 10 guys on the field from the all 22 shot. So good catch by, uh, David O and all, uh, with that. And, and that got messy too. Yeah. Uh, Nathan writes in Dave, you guys do great work. Most smart steer fans want Canada gone and have since last off season. That isn't going to happen this year. How about instead of firing him, they bring in Munchak to help with the old line and the run game. The line under Pat Meyer has been a, a abysmal with the talent he's been provided. Munchak could be a de facto line coach and run game coordinator. He could figure out what works for who he has, coach them up and then have input into the game planning. As far as the run game, if the old line was, was much better in the run game with it, Canada's terribleness, terribleness will be minimized and the black and gold can get closer to the smash mouth persona. 
blah, blah, blah. You still punt Canada uh, uh, in the offseason, but this season won't be wasted. Look, I mean, I understand you, you You talk about any kind of coaching changes, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and especially when you talk about the offensive line, uh, Mike Munchak's name's going to come up there. But, I mean, do, do I understand why we're getting the question? Yes. Do I think that they're going to go about that route? No. That's my thoughts as well. I, I get the, the idea there. And obviously Munchak is revered and a tremendous coach, but you know, Meyer's going to be your guy. Meyer's going to be your guy this year. It might get too messy. Now you got you know, three O-line coaches in there trying to, to coach this thing up. I don't know. I just, I probably isn't going to give you the, the results that you're hoping for. Right. And could, could Munchak be back in play next? I mean, he is getting up there a little bit in age and, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't He's know. expressed a desire to coach, still, right? Right. Because I mean, he, he he comes back to Pittsburgh each year for that uh charity golf tournament or whatever. He's always on the radio, and he's not close the door. I mean, obviously he left to be closer to family, but I think at this point, if, he, if Pittsburgh wanted him back, I don't know. He, he might say yes because it's a job and knows the organization well, obviously. All right. Uh, let's see. Chris Cordova. I can't believe the Ravens gifted this game to us, but I'll take it. Dave was right. I'm even more pissed now. Because nothing is actually better. It just looks, he says, it just looks better. And thanks to boneheaded drops and play calls by the Ravens and Harbaugh, our, our, our sliver of hope that this was the, the juncture that could get Canada fired was lost. Canada didn't even see, he says, Canada didn't even seem happy in the booth when Kenny uh, hit Pickens, probably because he didn't call that play. He, he probably called a run. Ha ha. Thanks, guys. I think we've all, I think we've covered the whole, uh, Look, uh, who who knows what Canada was thinking at the time? If the cam if the camera would have stayed on, I mean, it 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 doesn't matter at this point. I mean, it's easy to target in that moment and and all like that. But really, we we need to move past that uh, now. Overall, uh, and look, I mean, the the Ravens didn't make plays in key moments of that game, and that ended up catching up with them. And the Steelers made more plays in in playmaking situations and that's why they won yeah they did they, they made the plays late at least pittsburgh is so good at making those plays in the final five minutes in the final minute of the game that that's how they've won basically under mike tomlin and especially in, in recent years um i i don't want to spend much time on this but do you have any just personal thoughts on you see the fire canada chance at the pens game last night some commentary about that wondering is that people kind of going too far with it or is it is it fair game you have any sort of personal opinion on that Dave that's Pittsburgh sports fans being Pittsburgh sports fans that's I I, I don't I don't take offense to any if fans want to get together and cheer like that let them cheer fair and yeah I, I don't take offense to it personally and I'm all for people can do whatever they want to do but just enjoy the hockey game man that's my thing I'm not going to go boo McKinnon at a hockey I'm going to enjoy the Pens game um but that's just me I mean, I found it, found it more comical than anything, and and I I wasn't turned off. I mean, that, that's just what that's that's what that's what fans do, you know. So, I, I it sounds like you took a little bit more offense or a lot more offense to it than I did. Well, again, I don't take offense to it. It doesn't it doesn't affect my life. I mean, I don't have any you not know, personally offended by it. But I think you, you just I think say it's a little there's too a much. Time, I, I, time, I just time and place for everything is what you're saying. It just didn't sit particularly well with me. And again, maybe. Like, he's right for criticism. I have criticized him as much as, well, not as much as anybody, but I think I've criticized him a whole lot, but he's still a person. He's got a family, he's got people in the area and they probably feel that and absorb that. So 
I, I, I'm not a booer or a fire person in general. That's just my personal stance. Um, I don't boo. I don't, uh, you know, do those types of things, but people can do what they want to do. It just didn't, again, just personally, I'm not trying to, uh, what's, what's the phrase here? Uh, cast aspersions, if that's the right phrase on anyone, people can do whatever they want to do. It's, I'm not losing sleep over it. Just didn't sit, uh, well with me personally. I, uh, let's see here. First time emailer from max after eight years of listening to the show. Yin's guys are the best. Thank you. Watt and Highsmith have won us two games already this year and both divisional games. Will we ever see an edge duo like this again in our lifetimes? I can't wait to see healthy cam rushing the quarterback with these two. I pray to God that they both stay healthy this year. So much fun to watch. They are, I'll tell you what, they are a great duo, uh, that, that they are. Will we ever see, uh, an edge duo like this again. I mean, the Steelers have had quite a few of them, haven't <laughs> they? I mean, uh, uh, ever, uh, ever is a long time. Or uh, uh, I hope at some point down the road we see, you know, something uh, comparable to this. But uh, man, you'd have to go back to what Harrison and Woodley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say. I think you probably had these conversations when it was like. Porter and Gildan, and they mm-hmm. had the same conversation, or even back then, it was um, what, Lloyd and um, who would have been? Green. Green, yeah, Kevin Green, thank you. Um, and then Harrison Woodley, is this group better? Is Watt and Highsmith in current form better than Harrison and Woodley at their best? Combined, I think so. Man, that's tough for me. Woodley, that peak was uh, short, but it was yeah, so good too. Yeah, but do you remember... Of course, we weren't didn't have the all twenty two like we have now, and, and and can sit there and diagnose. And yeah, I don't I don't remember Woodley having kind of the win rate. You know, I don't. I mean, I don't know what the win rates were back then, but I mean, he had you know some big time seasons. I don't know. That's a tough one for me, Dave. I don't. I don't even know if I can give you an answer right now. And how now, much but... was it a byproduct of such a great rest of the defense? And you know, at the time, that's true. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Keeping the we, we always talk about co- Russian coverage going hand in hand. Boy, did they have Russian coverage back back then, right? Uh, how much did that play into the quarterback hole holding the football? Uh, I don't remember Woodley winning so quick, so consistently. I'm sure if you went back and saw some of the clips, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure he did. I, I'm not it's, trying to discount what, what he did. And, and look, Lord knows you're not going to discount anything James Harrison did, you know, uh, in there. I just wonder if that duo combined was was helped along by the rest of the, the defense that they had, whereas uh, uh, Highsmith and, 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 and Watt can seemingly take over the take take over games without that back end being so stellar. No, that's a fair. I think it's a really good point by you. Well, let me, let's ask the listeners. Give us your thoughts. Who is the better du- the duo, Harrison Woodley at their peak or the current form of Watt and Highsmith? I think we might get 50-50 splits on these answers. I bet we get, because I bet we have a lot of younger listeners, <laughs> sure. I bet we get a lot of Watt and Highsmith in there. Uh, let, let's see here. Uh, I think we hit on most of them here anyway, and it's getting a long uh, long in this show here. So why don't we wrap it up uh, here, Alex, and come back on Friday and we'll talk about what all the offensive coaches have had to say and 
start looking ahead to the rest of the NFL in, 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 in week six. It'd be great just to sit back and watch a lot of games uh, this week and not have to worry about uh, writing post-game stuff and all like that. So uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steelers Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, theterriblepodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteelersDepot.com. Find that donate button, whether it be on mobile or on uh, desktop and also uh, uh, ad-free version. You can find that way as well, too. So uh, good show, Alex. Uh, enjoy talking, and we'll get back after it again on Friday. And as always, thanks for listening to The Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.